You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show, it's all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and we answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, and a whole slew of other stuff. As a matter of fact, if you've got a question, call me. If I can answer it, I'll certainly do that. If not, many times somebody listening can help us out. So any question you've got, and then we'll wrap it around the trucking lifestyle because that's what the show's all about. But we can talk about the business itself, uh, about your life, about learning, about relationships. All of those things have a huge impact on your business or your career driving. So we try to cover it all here on the show the best we can. Give me a call. Ask your question, and we'll see what happens from there. I'm going to get to those calls in just a little bit. One of the issues that we've been talking about quite a bit lately, and I want to give you an update. I'll give you a quick refresher. Uh, We've been building gliders and and working with glider manufacturers, primarily Fitzgerald, since um, Around 2008 or so is when I first started working on the first glider project. And since that time, uh, literally Fitzgerald has built thousands and thousands of gliders. And lately in the last couple of years, because of all the emission related problems and the, the cost of buying new trucks and the cost of maintaining new trucks, the glider concept has become very, very popular. There are a lot of other companies out now building gliders, some successfully, some not so successfully. And one of the things that has come up recently, uh, really, it's been in the last six months. And that's not a lot of time. I, I think it was about six months ago or so that I started getting calls about gliders coming out of a particular company and the fuel mileage being really poor, which just didn't make any sense to me. And here's why. If we take a standard glider build and we don't do anything special to it, say a a Coronado or a Columbia or a Century, you put a 12.7 in it, put a 10 speed, put 355 gears, really common. You don't even have to put good tires on it. And it should easily be a six and a half mile per gallon truck if we're doing nothing for fuel economy. If you do just a couple things, then they become seven mile per gallon trucks quickly. Fitzgerald builds lots of trucks that do eight miles to the gallon right off the lot. And yet I was getting calls of gliders that were getting in really in the low to mid fives and struggling to try to get six miles to the gallon. And that just made no sense to me. So my thought was something has to be wrong. And if there's one thing I'm good at, it's troubleshooting fuel economy on a pre-emission engine. 
Once we get into emissions, way too many variables, too many complications. Nobody's really figured those engines out yet. I'm working on it. But on a pre-emission engine, I've been working with fuel economy and troubleshooting fuel economy and improving fuel economy for decades. You know, when you do something every day, you hopefully get good at it. So I've said many times, if you bring me a pre-emission truck with a fuel mileage problem, we'll figure out what it is. It may take us a while. It, it, sometimes it can be tricky, but we'll figure it out. And that held true about 99% of the time. Every once in a while, you'd get a weird one and, and either we didn't have enough time to spend on it or somebody couldn't spend enough money. It usually came down to one of those things. If we had more time and more money, we might be able to figure it out. But it's a tiny percentage until some of these gliders started showing up. And I, I went back and looked. And right now, I know of six gliders that are really struggling with fuel economy. I did everything I could on a couple of these, checked everything I knew of without being able to get my hands on the truck. And then the next step for me is always get it into Pittsburgh power because virtually everything I know about fuel economy, they know. Uh, and then they've got engineers there that understand the electronics much better than I do. They can get their hands on it. So between the two of us, I was confident we'll get this done. And yet the trucks came out of Pittsburgh power with some improvements. We got some of them up into the sixes, but by that time, the modifications that we had done, they should have been seven and a half mile per gallon trucks and they were low sixes. So we made an improvement, but not nearly enough for any of us to be happy with it. Um, luckily, I just feel very blessed that I'm surrounded by such great people in this industry. And without me really even asking him to do it, Jeff Zarley took it on himself to start doing some research and he dug deep. And what he found out is now helping us all to go do more research. So what Jeff Zarley came back with was he said, look, there's there's a different builds of all of these engines. And there are different parts that should be going with each build. And he didn't have all the details yet, but as soon as he started talking about that, the light bulb went off. If that's true, and I, I just didn't realize that before, I knew there were some minor differences. I, and I'm going to explain what we've already found out about differences in the engine. And it turns out that there are some major differences in these builds and major differences in some of the parts that get used. And as soon as I knew that it started to make sense, you're not going to be able to really troubleshoot this problem unless you know that it exists. And even then it's going to be difficult because we're talking about different cams, different valves, different injectors, different bull gear setups, lots of different parts. And we're talking about engines now that could be 15 to 20 years old. They could have been through, uh, most of them have certainly been through one in frame. Some of them could have been through multiple rebuilds. They've been in shops. We have no idea who's using what parts. But now what we're seeing even more on the glider side is that 
there is such a huge demand for two engines in particular, the D-Deck 4 and the, the CAT C15, the 6NZ, uh, 5EKs, engines like that. Huge demand. And we are just in the last six months or so starting to see a shortage of parts. So two things are happening. We are remanufacturing parts that should have been thrown away. And a year ago, they would have been thrown away. We are building on blocks that we wouldn't have used before. And because the supply chain is so short, we think there's a real lack of quality control throughout the whole system. So people are just scrambling to get whatever parts they can. And when I say people, I'm talking about these are factory remand Detroit engines. We're not talking about people putting them putting them together in their backyard. But the supply chain is is really lousy right now. And these engines are being put together with mismatched parts. This makes sense. It's not good, but at least we've identified what the issue is. Now, just to give you an idea, and then and Jeff is still doing his research. Bruce picked up the idea and started doing his research. Bruce came back to me this week and said, if we're talking about D-Deck 4s, there are seven different builds of a D-Deck 4. There are seven different builds of a C-15 Cat, and that only includes the on-highway builds. It doesn't include the Marine builds. It doesn't include the military builds. It doesn't include the industrial builds. It doesn't include the mining builds. And then there's actually an underground mining build that's different than all the others. So now it starts to make sense how this can get really complicated and we could have mismatched parts and the engine's going to look okay. It's going to perform okay not like a really well-built engine, but it's going to be, I mean, it's still going to run down the road. The oil samples aren't that bad. The fuel mileage though is horrible. And, and my guess is if we were to put these on the dyno and really kind of see where we're at horsepower and torque, we might see some issues there as well. So we are going to continue working on this. I've got one idea and it's interesting when I ran it by Bruce Bruce got very excited and I'm, uh, I'm going to, I'll tell you what it is at the next break. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail yet and I'll tell you uh, when we're going to have some details on this idea. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothbard.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. If you need any help from us, we can give it to you. All you have to do is pick up the phone and give us a call here at Let's Truck. We've got a great team in Tribe Care to take care of you. The number is 855-800-FUEL, 855-800-3835. A couple other things. You know, our, our recording schedule every week and our podcast shows are expanding And we are also expanding the use of our text message system to let you know when we're recording and when the podcasts are live. And it's real simple to join our text message system. In fact, grab something to write with. You could probably remember this, but grab something to write with, and I'll tell you exactly how to do it. It'll take you, well, as long as it takes you to open your text message system on your your phone, however you send text messages. It'll take you about uh, 30 seconds after that. All you're going to do is send a text to what's called a short code instead of a phone number. So where you would put in the phone number, you're going to put in the short code, which is 99,000, 99,000. Put it in just like a phone number. And then you're only going to put one word in the body of the text. And the word is listen. You don't have to worry about capitalization or punctuation or anything. It's just listen. So you text the word listen to the number 99000. Wait just a couple minutes and you should get a reply back letting you know that you're in the system. And anytime you want to stop those texts, it's really easy. You just do the same thing, but the word you use is stop. And then the text will stop. It'll take you out of the list. And if you want to go back, you can go back. You could change every day if you want. We don't spam you. We are simply using it to let you know about recorded hours and podcasts. And just to give you an idea, once I get the system set up for all the shows, we now have, uh, let me do a quick one, two, three, four. Uh, You'll get somewhere... Uh, between seven and text messages a week, because that's how many shows we're doing now. So I don't want you to think that, you you know, we're going, going to overwhelm you. I want you to know what to expect. And it's about seven to 10 a week. And again, you can stop anytime you want, but I'd love it if you would get on that list. It's really nice because we text you about 15 to 30 minutes before the show. We put the phone number for the show right in there. So all you have to do is touch the phone number on most phones and it'll dial in. You don't need any access codes and you can join us for the recording and the podcast. All right, real quick, the idea that uh, Bruce and I are going to work on together. In fact, this is so important. I am moving a lot of my schedule around so that I can get to uh, Bruce's place and spend some time with him and the engineers on this. And I'm getting more excited about it, mostly because Bruce is excited. You know, when I I, I asked Bruce, Bruce, you know, is there any chance we're going to be able to get more of these parts anytime soon? And he said, it doesn't look like it right now. And I said, well, what about the cat then? Let's build C-15s. Let's build, you know, six NZs. And he said, same problem. He said, uh, Fitzgerald builds a lot of cat engines and we're seeing the same issue with parts. And let me address Fitzgerald for a minute, because I I had to put a lot of thought into why they're not seeing the problems. 
And I'm checking, I'm asking people, if you've got a low mileage glider out of uh, Fitzgerald, please call me. And virtually nothing yet. We had one and it did turn out to be some issues that we were able to fix and, and got it back up over seven and a half miles to the gallon. So I have not seen one of these problem gliders from Fitzgerald yet. Not saying they might not exist. I just haven't seen one. But he, I, I got thinking about it. If you understand business, and many of you do, Fitzgerald has been the biggest glider builder for years now, decades. They've been building gliders for a long time, back when people didn't even know what gliders were. And they are the priority when it comes to the supply chain. They are the number one consumer of those engines, the number one consumer of those parts, and their suppliers make sure they get all the best parts. And that's the way business works. It's the way it should work. So their gliders are still coming out doing great. And we'll stay on top of that. It's everybody else now that's having trouble getting parts and having trouble, you know, even with doing in-frames on older engines. Bruce told me right now they can't get an in-frame kit on a 12.7. That's how bad it is right now. So I said, well, you know what? Let's just go down the line. I've always said the N14 is a rock solid engine. I, I don't get really excited about it, but I've said it is a workhorse. So I, I, the thing about the N14 for me was that by the time the N14 came out, I was sold on the 12.7. There was no way I would I was even looking at other engines. So I, I cert, I've driven them. I've tinkered around with them. I've helped people with them but I haven't put a lot of time and energy into it. So I, I spent some time with Bruce and I said, Bruce, tell me about the N14. And there is a very interesting story to this. And I, I'm going to tell it now. I'm, I'm probably going to tell this again on the weekend show. Um, so here's the thing. When, when the 60 series Detroit was designed, well, I can't even call it the 60 series Detroit. That's wrong. When when that engine, the first electronic diesel engine was designed, nobody really owned it yet. Detroit diesel didn't even exist anymore. If you know the history of Detroit, they were around a long time ago with their two cycle engines. In fact, my first engine was a two cycle Detroit, a 6V92. And Roger Penske was looking to revive that company, but it, it wasn't really in existence yet. And they didn't have an engine. So the design was, I, I believe the engineers had something to do with Cummins. And somehow uh, John Deere was part of this early design. Cummins looked at the design for the 60 series and said, ah, you know what? We really like our N14. And they passed on it. So. And when I say the N14 didn't exist by the time, you know, I had been on the Detroit's, I'm talking about an electronic. So it got shopped around a little bit and I forget there might John Deere, I think, passed on it. I'm not sure what they were going to do with it. Um, I guess it would have been out in the fields. And Roger Penske picked up the engine. The first version, the D-Deck 1, the ECM was actually built by General Motors. 
And, you know, literally history was made. That was the first electronic diesel engine. And it was a huge advancement in diesel engines and continues to be a, just an excellent motor up until emissions screwed it all up. So it's interesting that, that uh, Cummins passed it up because they liked their N14 better. Now, Bruce has way, way back when was always a Cummins guy. And he built the, some of the best uh, big cam Cummins. I've, I've uh, spent quite a bit of time in, with a, uh, a big cam Cummins in it. It was an amazing engine for a mechanical engine. But I, I guess when, you know, the 60 series became so popular, Cummins really fell behind on electronics early on. And then Cat got into electronics and the C-15 became such a great engine that I, I, I think that the N-14 got, a, got left out. It, it did for me. I just didn't pay much attention to it. Bruce believes that we could build a better N-14 than what we're building in Series 60. I'm not sure I'm convinced of that yet, but I'm wide open. Here's the thing. We know if we just build a stock N-14, it's a rock solid engine. I say that all the time. Bruce showed me some numbers. It is the longest lived diesel engine by far. And I did not know that. He said they easy 1.3 million miles. And he knows of one N14, same owner from day one, 2 million miles, no in frame. That's exciting. Now with everything I know about fuel economy, with everything Pittsburgh Power knows about fuel economy and electronics now and everything they know about Cummins, maybe we could build a better N14. And the interesting thing is right now, there's not a supply chain problem on that engine. And if we look at how many Series 60 engines we've built and we're just now running into some supply chain problems, we might have many more years of building N14s, especially if I don't tell anybody about it. So, you know, this is just between you and I. Don't tell anybody else about this project. I'm excited to get started on it. Um, I, I wish it was fall again when I had more time, but we've got the Mid-America Truck Show coming up. We've got the CMC. It kind of works out good, though, because um, after Mid-America, I've got about a month and it, I, I'm I'm really getting pretty close to being ready for the CMC now. I am, not the rest of the company, because they do all the real work. So I'm going to have some time in between those two, and I'm going to go spend some time in Pittsburgh. I'm going to spend some time with Bruce, and we are going to uh, we're going to crank out a really cool N14 and a glider, I think. Stick around. When I get back from this break, I promise we'll get to some calls. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We are going straight to the calls. We're off to North Carolina. Wesley, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I've got something on to pick your brain on. A 293 rear end with uh, a 10-speed. Plus, looking at another truck that's got a 13-speed, same ratio. And then a third ratio, a 390, would turn in a 9-speed into a 13. Would that gain you any road speed? Uh, or would that 13, changing a 9 to a 13, wouldn't really help you much no. with a 390? Doesn't help you at all, and here's why. The, the final gear, which is the one right. that really determines our road speed, on the 9 and the 13 are identical. So it is. Okay. It, you won't pick up a single mile per hour by doing that. Now, so that's just got to be a slow truck to make good fuel exactly. mileage. That's what I was just going to say. And and I have three nineties in mine. I and I love them. I drive fifty seven all the time. I really, you know, don't have to worry about my schedule. I don't want to go any faster. And I love the three nineties in a ten speed. The two ninety driver in this truck though. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> So he, let's talk about that a little bit. So the 390s are out. And, and really, for for people who are moving freight, and, and if we have an option on gear ratios, then I, I don't recommend the 390s because they do limit us. And I like having that option of being able to drive slow and getting really good fuel economy and being able to drive faster when we need to and, and still being able to get the best fuel economy we can with the driver. Are you going to speed limit him at all? I'm going to give him an option and his pay a change on what he decides. Good. I love that. And that's what I did with my drivers. It works really well because here's what's going to happen when we, and, and let's throw out the 10 speed and the 293s. really difficult uh, setup to make work. So let's throw that one out. So that leaves us the 293s and the 13 speed, which can be a really, really good combination if we do things right. But here's what's going to happen. With the 293s, we're going to run this truck in direct if he will drive 55. If he'll drive 55 in direct, it's about the best fuel economy you can get out of that engine. I, I have a truck. We, we just talked about it on the show yesterday. Jimmy called. His truck had 293s. and he had a driver in that truck that got it up on a, I believe he said a 60 day average up to 9.9 something. Now that truck had huh. literally everything on it. I could think of, and they probably came up with some stuff I hadn't even thought of. Uh, but in the beginning, we really struggled with the two ninety threes. And actually Jimmy was one of the guys that, that figured out what made that gear ratio work. And it, it's slow really slow. He, he drove it at 54. So that'll tell you, but if you do that, it's great. But here's the problem with this setup and a driver. If we can get him to drive 55 to 60 indirect, we'll get good fuel economy. Anything over 60, we're going to have to go into 12th. And now that truck will easily run 70 in 12th. And if he hits 13th, it's an 85 mile per hour truck. Right. So I, I think I would do two things. I, I would I would let him make some decisions and and have that, you know, work out with bonuses or pay. But I also think that because it would be so fast, 
that I would put a top on it. Maybe it's 75 or 72. If it were me, I would oh, put yeah. a top. You know, it, it, there's just I, I don't care how much or how little you're going to get paid. I just don't want that truck ever going faster than 70. Yeah, well, I've also thought about making, uh, I mean, 65 as fast as I want any truck I ever own to go. Uh, well, they, they like it or not, they can they can yeah. go drive somewhere else. You know, is way I look at it. But uh, yep, yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that, hey, you know, I hate to cut you off, but we're we're really short on time today. I got a ton of calls. I want to get to them, but I think it's a great idea. I would put a top on it. Sounds like you're already going to do that, and this could be a really really good combination. But skip the 390s, skip the 10 speed and the 293s. Go with the 293s and the 13 speed. Let's go to Texas. Sean, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I'll keep it short. I'll eliminate one of my questions. Um, I uh, just wanted to give you an update on my weight. Uh, last, uh, my 62-day average, I'm down 32 pounds. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. It's amazing we don't eat sugar and coffee. Uh, but uh, I've been using Advocare. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them or not. But it uh, really helps with the appetite, not wanting to eat everything. But uh, between that and two gallons of water every day, uh, really changed my whole business perspective. Yeah, you know, I, I'm getting ready uh, this afternoon to, to give some updates on mine. And, you know, I'm not taking anything at all uh, as far as supplements or appetite control. I'm not following any of the structured diets, um, you know, Adkins or Miami Beach or Weight Watchers or any of that stuff. I, I'm just really adding a lot of healthy foods and I'm to the point where, where the sugar addiction is totally gone. In fact, I, I, I was surprised this week when I started actually tracking my nutritional intake. I, I'm using an app called my fitness pal, really popular one. And at the end of the day, and I'm literally eating anytime I want, I, I, I do not let myself get hungry. I'm eating you know, I have a whole list of foods that I absolutely love and I eat them anytime I want. And, and some of them don't sound very healthy, but they actually are. And at the end of the day, I looked at my calorie intake and my carb intake and thought the last three nights, I have to eat another meal at the end of the day that I wasn't planning on eating or I'm going to keep losing weight. And I don't want to. I'm down exactly where I want to be. And all I want to do now is build muscle. And I have to force myself at the end of the day to take in more calories and fat and, and some carbs because I'm just, if I eat the way I want to eat all day, I'm not getting quite enough because I'm, I've been so active. That's my problem I have now. Actually, I had to do that stuff with the last three nights, just had to eat some extra food. But, uh, you know, I love it. I like that I used to drink five or six cups of coffee. I mean, I used to park at Starbucks every night instead of a truck stop, just like now at Starbucks yeah. this morning. Uh, he, I had a, a automated uh, AMT question. Um, I'm looking back out a new truck in the future, and it's going to be auto shift. That's my big priority. Do you know anything about the new um, Advantage transmission? And is there a big difference between the 10, 13, and 18 when it comes to fuel economy? If you have back to the same gearing, the gear set. Okay, good questions. Let's uh, let's start with that last one first. There is a difference between a 13 and a 10. It's not a big difference. Depending on your operation, the heavier you are and the more time you spend in the hills, the bigger the difference will be. 
in my operation in Florida and Georgia, or even when I had a truck that ran Orlando to LA across I-10, a 13-speed made no difference whatsoever. The 10-speed the got the exact same fuel economy. If you run Another, from, yeah. from Denver to LA and back, a 13-speed will make a big difference, uh, a, a significant difference, not big. The 18-speed, in my opinion, is really a transmission designed for heavy haul. I mean, I, I've driven a bunch of them, and I would never split the bottom gears. It, it just doesn't make any sense. So I think the 13-speed is a good option if you need it. If you run light and if you don't spend a lot of time in hills, I'd go with the 10. It's lighter, it's cheaper. And yeah, fuel economy. one with a 264, and I can run that at night. Um, and then 10 would be a 0.79 gear set now. Oh, and that's that's a little better. I mean, that that helps. It's still it's very, a gear you're not going to use very often, but it's uh, it's a little better. Now, let's go to the auto shift. What kind of truck are you buying? Uh, I'm not sure yet. I mean, I, I 780 Volvo or a um, Packard or a um, a uh, Peterbilt 579. Either either okay. one can get me a lift axle six by two, and they'll both build me a lift axle now. So, Excellent. Uh, that's my yeah. consideration. So, so glad to see that we've been fighting that one for years. Actually, since me, 2008. Me when, yeah, when we built ours in 2008. So yeah. here's what I would do. And there are a couple reasons for this. If I were building a Volvo, I would go with the iShift. I love that transmission. I love the technology. And we, we've got, I'm not wide service, but at least we're, we're dealing with one dealer for engine, transmission, differentials, the whole shot. Sometimes yeah. with Eaton, you know, you go into a Peterbilt dealer and they don't really have anybody who works on these things all the time. And now you've got to get a different company involved. If I were building the Volvo, I'd stick with the iShift. If I were going to build the pack car, I'd go with the Eaton. So, you know, we we really had to rush today. One-hour shows just aren't cutting it anymore. I've got so much to talk about. There's so much going on. Um, I've got to get to a break. We do have one more segment, so stick around. I just feel like we're flying through this hour. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. I'm going to get right back to the phone calls and knock out as many as we can. Let's go to Ohio. Cameron, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. What can I help you with today? Well, uh, it seems like in the last, oh, 30 days or so, my fuel mileage has dropped way off. And I've got a non-aerodynamic truck, and I'm, I'm usually right in the you know, seven-mile-per-gallon range with light loads, and now I'm getting closer to six. 
And I'm wondering if maybe that could be the colder air and the winter winds. Yes, absolutely. Well, and and let me give you some of the extremes. What part of the country have you been spending most of your time in? Well, most of the time I've been in the south. Of course, now here it's gotten cold in the south, so I've moved up to the north end. So I I went across 70s on this last trip. Yeah, uh, okay. You know, through Indiana, Ohio. So... You know, when when we talk about winter fuel economy, we tend to just think it's it's one or two things, um, and it's not. It, it's about fifteen things that I've identified that hurt fuel economy in the winter time. And the colder it gets, the more the effect is. A non-aerodynamic truck will be affected worse than an aerodynamic truck. There, there's a lot of variables here. So some of them, the further north you get, there's actually a map where you can see the fuel blends. The further north you get, the closer and closer we get to number one diesel. Now, we don't get there, but the blend gets closer and closer to that. You get far north, and that's a very different fuel than what you're getting down south. It has less energy in it. So we know you're going to get worse fuel economy from that. As air gets colder... It gets more dense and it's harder to push through. So that's why we have an aerodynamic issue. And the worse your aerodynamics are, the bigger the effect is going to be. We tend to idle more. Um, Roads are road surfaces and all of your components are colder and colder components keep the oil colder and make it harder to move through. We tend to face slush. And, and in slush, forget it. Your fuel economy will drop off two miles to the gallon. It's very, okay. very difficult to push through it. Anytime we have cold water, cold rain, melting snow, that keeps all the components on your truck, your axles, your differentials, your transmission, keeps them colder. So it makes it harder. Again, we have more parasitic drag when everything is cold. I, I could go on and on and on. It, it, there are I, I've got a whole list, and it, it's about really 15 factors. And, and the worst-case scenario we tend to see is a full two-mile-per-gallon drop. If you go far enough north and you spend enough time in that cold, we have seen trucks drop two full miles to the gallon, and nothing is wrong with them. So... It can be that extreme. When I hear one mile to the gallon and somebody's been in cold weather, I don't even blink anymore. Okay. Well, that all makes sense then, Kevin. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Texas. Adam, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Kevin. Um, The question is, we're getting ready to start doing our retirement stuff, our, you know, doing our contributing for stuff. I have a, the IRA Roth versus IRA standard. Now, I know that one is taxed before it goes in and one is taxed after. Now, is this true or not true? If I'm in a higher tax bracket today as I'm working, I'll get taxed higher today for the money that I contribute versus if I'm retired, my tax bracket will be smaller and I'll get taxed less money when I pull it out. That is a true statement in the fact that 
if your tax bracket was lower, then yes, that would be correct. But we have to look at the factors and, and why you believe it will be lower. And, and a lot of people believe that. And I think it's a false assumption. Um, how old are you? Uh, 42. You've still, I, I, you know, if we start in our 20s, this is an absolute no brainer, but you're still early 40s. I, 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 you know, I've been looking at your numbers. I've been listening to you. I, I have a feeling you're going to be a pretty successful saver and investor, and you could end up with a lot of money at retirement. And a lot of people, you know, that have the money tend to not do that full blown retirement thing. They, they tend to, you know, maybe start other businesses and still have income coming in. So there's a good chance you could have more money at retirement than you have now, but that's only one factor. Let's think about this. The U.S. debt, if it hasn't passed $18 trillion, it's going too soon. And it might have. I haven't paid attention lately. And that is only our current debt. We have over $100 trillion of unfunded liabilities in the government. Social Security, Medicare, all kinds of things that they don't know where that money is going to come from. So what are the odds that tax brackets are going to go down? I mean, I think tax brackets are going to go up. And, and then let's look at the pattern. And people don't like it when I say this, but we have a government and a society that really pushes the agenda of class warfare. It's the evil rich screwing up the country. And, and let's just punish them. Let's tax those guys because they have all the money and they're the ones screwing everything up. And that, it, like it or not, agree with it or not, it's the truth. It's all around us. So the odds that tax rates are going to go down or they're going to go down on wealthy people seems like it's just not going to happen from what I see. So okay. I'm, and none of us know, but I'm betting on the fact that I'm going to be in a much higher tax bracket when I retire and, and I don't want to be taxed on the money then. Okay. So the, the $5,500, the, you know, we, we got in, in, in touch with one of the guys from Dave Ramsey's group of people. And, um, uh, let, let me, he, let me, let me jump in and say something. Um, and you know, I, I like Dave Ramsey stuff a lot. Oh, Matt just sent me. We are past $18 trillion, by the way. Um, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, exactly. Thanks, Matt. Um, that's just what I needed today. Um, uh, here's the thing. I, I do have some issues with Dave Ramsey's advice when it comes to budgets. He is a master. I love his stuff when it comes to managing money, when it comes to the emotional side of money relationships and money. The guy is just a genius. He really is. I don't like his investing advice at all. He is putting people into really, really expensive funds. Now, if that's changed over the last year or two, I'll take that back and I'll and go look at I haven't looked in I'll a while, but I, go I'll, ahead. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happened was they're actually talking about the Roth for us. And my dad's the one that told me that I, you know, no matter what, I would be an idiot not to do a standard. And that's the reason for the call today. Okay, so let me tell you the confusion that comes in. First of all, 
there's boy, there's two issues here that I don't I don't want you to overlook. The fact that they're they're putting you into a Roth, I agree with and I love. That has nothing to do with what funds they're going to put you in and what they're going to charge you to be in those funds. And I want you to go get one more book because I love Dave's stuff on budgeting. I want you to go get the Anthony Robbins book on money before you okay. do anything. Well, you know what? If you want to get money in this year so you don't miss the deadline, do it. I, and I don't care. We can move it later. Just get it in so you get started. But I want you to listen to that book. So that's okay. one. The expenses are so complicated. They'll hide them. They'll, they'll give you good advice on one side, and we won't even be talking about the fees. But then let's go to the Roth. You brought up just one tiny issue, in my opinion, which is, and we don't even know the answer to this issue, which is, am I going to be in a higher tax bracket now or later? I don't even think much about that one. Here's the real key to the Roth people don't understand. All of the money you put into a traditional will eventually be taxed. All of the money you earn over the years will also be taxed. Are we clear on that so far? Yes, I understand that part. I've listened to you long enough. But the Roth, there is a, the, the biggest part of your money is not the money you put in. The biggest part of your money is the money that it earns over all those years. You will only be taxed on the money you put in. You will never be taxed on the earnings. That is right. the, the that is the huge difference that most people just don't get. It, no, it's I, not. I, I get. I, I, I get that part one hundred percent. Before you, I know you're going to be short on time here. What? Who would you? What and who would you recommend besides? What's the name of the book that you're recommending? And where would you go? And who would you go to to get started on on opening and Roth? Follow the, plan be... follow the plan in the book. It'll tell you exactly who to go to. And as a matter of fact, I'm moving all of my accounts. What's the name of the, uh, the book? The, the book is by Anthony Robbins, and it's called Money, Master the Game. And it's available on audio. It's available on Kindle. And it's available in hardback. I have all three. So All right. Th I, thanks, Kevin. Yeah, the, the plan is better than I could ever give you on the air. Uh, because it's so detailed, but you can't mess up. Follow the plan. Thanks for joining me. I'm all out of time. Be safe, be profitable, do the hard work, and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Thanks for tuning in to the Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.